Graham Fife. Thank you for joining me on the Future Champions podcast. I have to tell you, I've been trying for about two years to get you on this podcast, but you are here and uh, it's great to see you. I'm here. Thank you, mate. It has. It's been a two years. Yeah, it feels like a blink and it's just gone by. But um, nah, thanks for persisting and uh, thanks for having me, mate. Well, I'm, I'm pretty excited because, as you know, I'm a mad Celtic fan and you've got some Celtic stories that you could probably share tonight and I'm looking forward to hearing them. But more importantly than that, you understand the youth mindset and what it takes to be a professional footballer or a professional athlete. And I'm looking forward to you sharing that. Yeah, I do. I'm on the hoops. Yeah, Celtic was a massive part of my life, especially in football, but also some of the coaches I had, so some of the mentors as well. So it's... um. They've set me in good stead. It never quite happened at Celtic for me, but it was a fantastic learning opportunity and uh, it's helped me become a better person and and hopefully a half-decent coach at the moment. You joined the uh, Celtic Academy, was it about 17? Is that right? Well, yeah, it was a wee bit different. I um, played in the Dundee Tayside League in Forfar, so it was like a boys' club. And what you would do is scouts would come and look at you and then you would train with the clubs but in your area. So I trained with a couple of clubs, with Celtic being the biggest one in the Dundee area with a Celtic coach. So you'd go on a Tuesday, Thursday and like a Saturday morning with this coach. And then when I was 14, I played for them on the weekend. So I actually went through to Glasgow. I used to get the train through and play there and under, must have been under 15s and then 16s. And then after under-16s, I then had to move to Glasgow and played um, for the under-18s when I was 16. Um, And that's sort of how it started. Without going into your current role with the Brisbane Roar Academy, I just want you to quickly talk about the differences you see growing up in an academy style in Scotland with a big uh, team like Celtic and now being a, a coach of young men at about the same age you actually coach a little bit older, but you see the younger ones come through. What's the biggest differences you've noticed? I think that the full-time setup um, at Celtic was massive. You trained every day. You were in in the morning. You trained, then you had some lunch, uh, and then you trained again, um, and then you went home and you lived and breathed football. There was no, there was nothing else. You know, that's all. That's all you've done. Obviously, the academy here is part-time. Um, the kids only come in three times a week, which is 100% not enough, in my opinion. They've got other school, other football stuff, like through schools and um, and different ways they play over here. Where at Celtic, growing up, it was just Celtic. Um, that that was it. You were just there with the coaches day in day out, and um, I think that's the biggest difference is that it's full time. What's your, uh, I guess, your memory of that time growing up as a footballer in Scotland? At Celtic, uh, oh my God, it was it was scary. I remember being so scared to start with. I mean, coming out of school and being with your friends and family, and then you had to move into what they call digs. So I had to move in with a like a like a another family and 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 live with different uh, different boys. Some boys from Ireland, some boys from Scotland, and um, it was pretty scary, but super super exciting as well. I mean, it was every boy's dream. Um, in Scotland to to become a professional footballer and play for an academy and um, to be at Celtic, you know, you've got Celtic and Rangers, which are the two biggest. Um, but it was it was super exciting. It was amazing. It was uh, it was hard, all at the same time. If I if I could go back and do it again, I would. Yeah, it was a massive, massive le- learning curve 
going from a, a young boy that had his family there to um, sort of on your own, um, just with other footballers and you were sort of playing with them, but you also had in the back of your mind you were going against them because obviously not many people make it. So, yeah, well, scary and exciting, crazy, fun, happy, tears, all at the same time. Just craziness. Did you ever doubt yourself as a young player? All the time, all the time. But you learnt ways to, you know, overcome that. I mean, every bad pass you make, you can't help it sometimes and think you're not good enough. Or if you get injured, um, you think that your time's up. Or if you played well one week and then you were on the bench the next week, you were so confused on why. So, yeah, you, there was a lot of doubt. And I think, like, if you fast forward from when I moved to Celtic to when I was 20, like five, six years later, um, I think the doubt that I had myself was probably a, a decent factor on why I didn't kick on the way I did. And that's why I'm trying to now, as a coach, tell these kids to be fearless um, and to, you know, if you do doubt yourself, don't make it last long and think of the positives because, um, yeah, they can learn from maybe my mistakes or maybe, you know, the advice I wasn't given um, at certain moments in, in my youth career. Talking about that, you had that experience and it was a challenging experience but a rewarding one from 13, 14 through to 16, 17. And then you start with uh, Celtic, the youth team. Yeah, so under 18s, I was 16. So you were classed as like the younger group of that age group. So a lot of times you went, um, well, I did personally, you went from, you know, playing every week, twice a week, being one of the best players in your local town um, to then playing for the, the Celtic on the Sunday for under-14s, under-15s. And then you get that that age where two ages combine. And you get like, you know, the under, there's no under-17s, so there was an under-17s team and under-18s both combining. Um, and you are now fighting against players who were older than you. And um, that was hard. You know, you were on the bench. Um, you had to learn how to deal with that. You had to learn how to train um, separately sometimes if the, the team had had a game and you know you hadn't trained you hadn't played so you had to train with a couple of extra boys and do some extra training so massive learning curve and then the second year obviously you're the older group so then now you are starting but you know you've got these young younger ones a year younger coming up from behind you wanting your spot and that was the first time I'd experienced that and um, I've got to admit I really I really thrived at that age under 18s um and then if you were good enough, you got asked to um, then sign on again for the under-21s, which was the reserve team um, at Celtic. And uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to sign a two-year deal there, um, which was, which was again, was fantastic. Um, but then you had the, you could play amazing still. Like, I remember playing a game against Dunfermline and I came off the bench and scored one of the best goals I've ever scored and, and we played amazing. But I, I never played for weeks after that because um, first-team players had to play minutes. So they used to drop down um, and play some minutes um, in the reserve team. So we weren't, we couldn't play. And uh, again, it was an amazing feeling to play and score and do all that. And then within a, a flip of a coin, you're not playing and it feels like your world's ending. So it's a massive roller coaster. What would you say to the 20-year-old Graham Five? in that time of, 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 I guess, hardship and rejection and wondering whether you're good enough and then, you know, having to make room for a first-team player, what, what what advice would you give him? Oh, it's, it's fantastic. And you know what? I've done it a million times in my head. Um, 
I would say be patient. I'd say work even harder. Um, learn more. Don't stop learning as you get to that 19, 20-year-old. I think a lot of players over here do. And I think that, yeah, I, I should have just just went for it and just waited for that door to open again and then grabbed every opportunity with two hands instead of thinking um, I wasn't good enough or it'll never happen to me. And then listening to some bad advice from from people that have never walked that path. Yeah, I, I think that's what I would do. What's some of the advice that you wouldn't listen to? To go to um, to go out on loan, um, to get to get game time somewhere else. Where, to be honest, I, I should have stayed. I went on loan to Wraith Rovers, and I should have stayed um, in the in the environment at Celtic. But I got advice from an agent saying that it would be better to go and play games at a lower level. Um, and I'm not saying it's that's not for everyone. There's been many players that have went out on loan, but um, I should have picked a the right coach and the right club for me um, to develop me to get back and be even better for Celtic rather than learn bad habits, um, which happened. That loan to Wraith Rovers was a decision that, that you made rather than the club pushing you that way? No, not really. I think the club at the time were wanting, it was like they were trying to get people out on loan. I don't think it was like really common. I could be wrong, but I think we were like the first sort of people that started doing it going out on loan and there was a few of us that went and um my agent said it would be good and when I look back I should never have got an agent mate it was so stupid um but he thought it'd be good and then the club went yeah go for a little bit and then you know when you when I got there um I remember driving to Kirkcaldy from Glasgow and it took about two and a half hours to get there in the morning and um we, we got into the dressing room and I thought we were going to train on the on a good pitch and we ended up uh having to get our football boots on, our studs, and walk down a path underneath a train track um, and then kick a family off the pitch, off a, a random pitch to have a training session. I thought, oh my God, what have I done here? So um, big, big learning curve. But yeah, I was stuck there for about six months um, to finish the season out. But for those people who don't know Wraith Rovers, I mean, they, they have a, a fairly historical presence in Scotland and even the great... Willie Wallace, who is also living in Australia now, a Celtic yeah. great, a Lisbon Lion of all things, playing in Wraith Rovers and then moving. So you probably would have seen that and thought, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, they were sitting top or second top in the league. And, you know, you see the game um, at the weekend in the stadium, like a nice little stadium, and the, the fans were good and, and the people there were great. Um, they were great with me, the supporters. But um, when you had the training and the learning, from the Celtic coaches who were fantastic to then go down where it's more, you have to win. Obviously the coaches, and you don't realize at the time, but if they lose five games, they might get the sack or, you know, they're, they're playing games to win. I mean, at Celtic, we had to win, but it was playing in the right way or the way I, I love to play football. So um, it just didn't suit my style um, and it would suit a lot of people's and that's fine, but um, it didn't suit what I knew about football and it sort of changed. Um, it's changed my thoughts on the game. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, I thought this is the, this is what I'm not used to for the last six years, and it was very very strange. Um, even though there were some great teammates and there were some good moments, you know, you score your first senior goal and stuff like that. I mean, but um, yeah, if I had to go back, I definitely would have said no. Because the playing style, maybe the coaching, 
um, style wasn't able to progress your football to the next level. Is that why you would say no? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the experience to play against men and play against teams, like you know, going away, you know, on away days to these little grounds like Cowdenbeath and 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 fans giving you stick and and all that. I mean, I loved all that. There was there was certainly good parts, but for me to develop as the player I wanted to be, um, it certainly didn't. Yeah, it didn't help, and I felt like um, looking back now, I I just learnt some bad habits, to be honest. And uh, yeah, although I, I I celebrate everything I've done in my life, um, like the question at the start, if I could give myself some advice now, um, it would have been not to go, not to go. But then you spent six months. You obviously realised it wasn't for you, and you went uh, south of Scotland and you played in a little country. I can't remember. Where it's England, I think, is, is, yeah, is the country. Yeah, it's just just south of Scotland, mate. Just yeah, a wee yeah. Bit. yeah, it's yeah. it's. Yeah, it's 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 like South Brisbane, sort of that that yeah, sort of. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, <laughs> the smelly part. <laughs> <laughs> so you went you went and played in the was it is it the third tier of English football? Yes, it would have been at Cheltenham Town. Yeah, it was League Two at the time. Um, I think I don't know it all sort of changed the the names, but yeah, I went down to Cheltenham and um, it was Bobby Gould who Jonathan Gould was at Celtic and he actually had um, I think the same agent or the same company and realised that I was sort of in between contracts and not sure what to do. And, um, yeah, ended up down in Cheltenham. I went down on a trial um, basis, and within a couple of days, um, Bobby said, yeah, I'd like to sign you, and I signed a, I signed a two-year deal. And um, uh, I got to admit, at the start there, it was fantastic. He wanted to play fast attacking football, wanted to pass the ball um, and get the ball on the ground and play. And, um, yeah, it was... At that moment, it was a it was a very good move. Um, the people were great. The teammates with some ex sort of Premier League players and League One players who just didn't quite make it, but um, you know came down to Cheltenham and um, the captain, oh, not the captain, the Michael Duff, who was the centre back when I was there, ended up playing for Burnley and playing in the Premier League. So he got his move when he was like twenty seven, and um, yeah, they were a great bunch to start with. It was really cool. You spent a fair bit of time there. What what were you sort of anticipating would be the next step for you? When I went down to Cheltenham, I had um, a very clear vision and ambition to then go up the English leagues. I thought if I could get myself to um, a real quality championship team um, who liked to play football, I used to love watching it. And then, obviously, you never know, mate. You know, if, if a manager likes you or the team gets promoted, um, at twenty twenty one, I still felt like I could do it you know, get into the Premier League or, you know, um, I'm not saying I would have starred for Liverpool or Man U, but um, I thought to myself, well, if I can kick on here and do well, then, you know, it could be um, it could be a good avenue to get back to, to where I thought I could have went. Well, to be fair, you could probably put on the boots and star for Manchester United right now, couldn't you? Well, hey, Ronaldo's <laughs> doing it. <laughs> he's, he, he's certainly doing well. So you had those aspirations. What lessons did you learn during those two years in in the lower leagues of English football oh my god there was there was so many mate like at the start um I never started the first game um I remember Bobby um you know naming the squad and I was a 17th man which is always the worst one you know you're there just in case someone gets injured in the warm-up and uh but I loved the boys and I supported every minute of it and um I was lucky enough I think I think we got beat, which wasn't good, but personally it helped because then I got in the next game. So as much as I always want the team to win, it was quite um, 
a bit of a silver lining that I could then play the next game. And uh, we played in the cup um, against a team above us and I played well. Um, so I got a start and then I started playing, I think maybe, I don't know how many games in a row, 15, 16 games or something and um, loving it. Stu, honestly, I was loving it. I was getting on the ball. I was creating chances and um, I was enjoying the way they played. I had a really good left back behind me who used to pass the ball well and some fantastic centre midfielders that I could play to. Couple of great strikers who you could feed the ball into, so it was um it was all going great. And then the manager left um, at half time in a game. Um, we were losing one nil, and it was quite famous. I think it's like a pub pub quiz thing uh, question that what manager left half time in a game, and Bobby left, um, and a new guy came in who was a uh, an ex player for Cheltenham, um, and he was like the assistant or the reserve coach, and um, he had a lot of friends who were you know, 31, 32, 33, who he played with, who were all on the bench for us at the time um, and not really starting. And um, he brought them all back in um, and, and got rid of me and a couple of the younger boys. And um, yeah, I struggled to get back in for, I think it was like six, seven weeks. And um, then a new manager came in um, and then it all started sort of spiraling out of control. It was a, a couple of unlucky injuries. I broke my arm in a game. Um, and I done my medial ligament not long after, and then um, you know that doesn't help. But it was how I reacted to that. I um, didn't do the right things in the gym. I didn't do the right things off the field, um, and really struggled to get back to to the, to the Graham Fife that I knew I was. And um, yeah, that next year was a bit of a um, a bit of a fight. Sometimes I was in, sometimes I was out. And when I was out, I had a bad attitude. Um, so as much as I disagreed with some of the decisions again if I could go back and give myself advice it would be to you know not not act the way I did and um, not be so social I'll say that I'm really interested to ask you two questions that are effectively the same but slightly different and it's this how can you as a player get the most out of a good coach and how can you as a player get the most out of a bad coach And, and when I say sorry let me just be clear a good coach for you as you see it and a bad coach for you as you see it? Because sometimes you may perceive someone to be a bad coach and they're actually not. Yeah, oh, of course. And, and it is a personality thing. You know? But I think that that good person, I'll say, who is a coach that, get, that I think is good, I think it's more um, to ask questions to them because if you believe in them um, and you believe they care about you and they believe they're going to help you be a better player, and then um, definitely ask more questions, um, reflect on games, um, reflect on training together um, and get their advice if you're going through some things that are a bit unclear. Um, you could get advice on stuff away from the game as well. Um, I think that's what I, would, that's what I did do in the past and, um, with the people that I got on with and I wish I'd still done it a wee bit more. And for the, the person that I didn't feel was right for me... Um, you would, you'd have to have blank out the stuff that isn't working, um, and have really thick skin and and let it go, um, and just find the positives, even if it's just one thing, mate. That that you can find the positive in that person that um, might then lead to two things and hopefully lead to three things, and then um, then do that. But what I did do is I did have a little book, and I I always thought if I become a coach, I will not do that. So I had a pros and cons list. Uh, from the people that I've had um, and I thought 
okay, I'll, I will not treat a player like this, or I will treat a player like this in, in these situations. So um, I suppose now it's sort of helped. You then transitioned or moved away from the English Football League and you moved to New Zealand. Mm. I'm interested to know, and at that point, did you decide that you weren't going to make it to the English Premier League or, or the Scottish Premier League or you know, those places that you'd probably dreamed about when you were a child. Mm-hmm. Is that the moment where you decided that maybe you weren't going to go that route and you were going to move and change your direction? It was. I um, I went back to Scotland. I had to get away from England. I had to get away from the the stuff outside the football, to be honest. I had to get away from there. And um, I thought Scotland would be the best option. So I went back to my mum and, and my mum and stepdad and my dad and... Uh, um, when I went back, I thought, right, I'll find a club in Scotland. Um, I know the people that I get the banter. Um, you know, you've still had that sort of tag that you were at Celtic, so it did help. Um, you know, getting some trials and getting some things going in Scotland. And then when I got there, um, I trialed with a few clubs and uh, Dundee, a couple of lower clubs, Inverness, Cali Thistle came in f- to go for a trial, and um, I found myself. Um, and if I had to be Totally honest, I was actually embarrassed um, and a little bit, not scared is the right word, but I was definitely embarrassed that I hadn't made it because I had so much potential as a kid and now I'm 20, 21 and I see other people who weren't as good as me um, doing better than me and it was really hard to take. Um, and I don't know, I've, it was a little bit of two things. One, I was half running away. So I wanted to be away from people so I wasn't getting judged a little bit. But I also knew I had to go and do something else because I easily could have gave up football. It came to the stage where I hadn't enjoyed it for a year and a bit um, and I could have easily gave it up um, and just got a job doing whatever and just being with my mates. And uh, I spoke to my coach who was, he's passed away now, he's a Celtic coach. He was the best guy, Stu, you could ever meet in a farm half as good as him as a coach and a person, I'll be super happy. And uh, I spoke to him and he said, Graham, you can either fight, just, you know, fight in Scotland and get a club and try and work your way up. Or um, you can go and travel and play football and see the world and travel. And I thought, well, maybe that's an option. And I got a phone call one day from um, Jonathan Gould, um, who got me in touch with Cheltenham. And he said, Fifey, I heard you were in between contracts. Do you want to come to New Zealand for six months. Um, we'll get your fitness up, get your love in football again, and and I'll get you a trial back in the UK. And then um, it just felt right. It just felt right, mate. It felt right to get away from certain people. Um, and it felt right to do it. And I went, I didn't even know they played football in New Zealand. I just heard <laughs> of the, the All Blacks, the Haka and Sheep. Um, and I thought, well, maybe I can, I can go over there. And it was, uh, you know, I'm Scottish and I got free flights. So I thought, well, why not give it a go? And, um, to be honest, when I got there, I, I loved it every day. Even now, I still regret not giving it another crack in the UK. But the regret quickly changes because I've built a, a really special life the last 15, 16 years over this side of the world. It wasn't, it wasn't a long time in New Zealand, was it? Four, four and a half years it ended up. And they were all six-month six month stints. Yep. <laughs> I, kept, I kept just re... Um, redoing my visa for six months and uh yeah i ended up falling in love with the with the, the place um i kind of 
I kind of liked being the better player again. And then people mm. people wanting to give you the ball, people like wanting little autographs, people wanting to, you know, see you before games, after games. I felt wanted, I felt important. I was playing every minute of every game. Um, you know, I loved training. The boys were absolutely amazing. Um, like second to none, the coaching was fantastic. I had Bobby Gould again. He came out, um, who took me to Cheltenham, um, and Johnny, and they two were just the special people and. Uh, I ended up coaching and I didn't even know I could, I liked coaching, but I, I fell in love with coaching and yeah, it just felt right to stay. And I thought, well, I'll just build a, um, the best part-time career I can and see what happens. You've come to Australia and you started playing in Queensland and you certainly, uh, your talents weren't wasted here in the, uh, I guess, the, the Queensland League and then the Brisbane League and then the um, National Premier League. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, they love changing the names over here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the <laughs> Queensland State League, I think it was called. Yes, it was. The Queensland State League, you're right. Yeah, QSL. Yeah, Brisbane Premier League and then then the National Premier League. That was it. You played for Redlands? Yeah, moved straight to Redlands. I um, uh, had, a, had a, a friend who I met, Chris Davis. I don't know if you know Chris Davis. Chris Davis is the assistant coach at Leicester. So he was assistant coach to Brendan Rodgers at Swansea, then Liverpool, then Celtic, and now Leicester. So he's went on have an amazing coaching career and he played at, in Hawke's Bay with me um, in New Zealand so he was actually playing he wasn't coaching just playing and his best friend moved over from England and we got on really well knew him for about six weeks um, and then we we decided to move to Australia and I wasn't sure what club to go to um, I got in touch with Strikers and Sunshine Coast Fire at the time um, and they didn't want me um, but I'll tell you how they regretted that. Um, but yeah, they didn't want me because they said they got enough players and we got enough quality and whatever. Um, I think Mooney and that was at Strikers at the time and Scott McNichol. And uh, um, my friend came to Redlands, that guy, on trial. Um, and he was here for about three weeks and he got, he got a contract for a year. And he said, we man, you should come over here. You'll love it. The fields are amazing. Uh, you'll, you'll fit in well here and all that. And I thought, well, I didn't know anyone in Australia. Um, at least if I go there I've got a mate and I can play and um, I decided to sign for Redlands and that's how it came about I could have went to Perth um, but I didn't realise how big Australia was and that was a five hour flight to Brisbane <laughs> and I thought that's mental please are going back to Turkey or Greece or someone so you, you effectively spent from 2005 to 2019 playing football yeah it may not be the English Premier League, but what an incredible career. And I think for Redlands, you scored 118 goals as, a, as a, an attacking midfielder. Is that... I think so, yeah. I think it was well yeah. over 100 goals in, in, a, in a couple of hundred games. Over 200 games, 120 or over 100 goals. That's, that's an incredible achievement over a long period of time. Yeah, and, and goal scoring was always um, a big part of my life growing up as a kid. Um, but if I had to go some of these coaches that are good coaches, but not for me, um, yeah, they sort of took that out of my game um, and just said that I had to set goals up. Um, and that was it, playing left wing backs and, you know, left midfield. And it wasn't about scoring. For me, it was more about setting people up and working back and tackling. And uh, and even one coach said, I've got to learn how to read flick-ons. So I was like, okay. So anyway, that all happened. And then at Redlands, uh yeah, I got I got my, my goal scoring boots back on and was fortunate enough to um bang in a few. What's the secret of longevity in football? 
adaptability is a big one. I think that um, when I grew up, I was taught how to be a football player. Um, I think a lot of people, kids nowadays, they get pigeonholed too early for a position. Um, and then as you get older, obviously the leg can't do the same as what they used to do, but um, you know you can, you can adapt and move positions. I think technique is massive. You see a lot of players that have to retire early because they technically weren't very good, but their engine and their heart, you know, their work rate and all that was great and their speed maybe was great. But if you, once you get older, that you lose that, you can't then just get your technique. You know, you've got to get that early door. So I think technically is why I still played. I think I started scoring more long range goals because I couldn't run up the pitch. So I, I learned how to score from 40 yards instead. Um, plus it was less walk, less walk back to the halfway line. So I could then last the 90 minutes. But um, yeah, I think that's a big one. And then obviously looking after your body, um, you know, the getting the nutrition right and recovering better so you can perform and train harder is um is absolutely massive. So um it's there for anyone. They just got to they just got to put it in and don't listen to people saying that you should retire when you're thirty four. Because you don't. You've often also talked about in your coaching, you you and we'll get to your coaching, but uh, for those who don't know, you are involved with the Brisbane Raw Football Academy, but you also run the Five Eves Football Academy is that? Yeah, is it, yeah. it's Five Eves Football Coaching. Um, five Eves Football Coaching. There's a, yeah, mil- so- there's a million academies that all swear they do the best, but um, my coaching is basically for players who want to play in any team, um, rather than having my team. Then I'm the best, and we go down to these tournaments. Um, that's not for me, I'm, and that's fine if it's for other people. But I just know that. You know, football can change so quick. Um, so I try and teach the kids skills that they can use and not just foot skills and stepovers, but just life skills and, and football brain skills where they can, um, you know, play in any team in any any part of the world. Fifey's football coaching. Uh, when did you start it and what was your purpose or why did you do it? I started it a little bit in New Zealand without the name. Um just just coaching one-on-ones, you know, 2v2, some of the kids that wanted to do it. And uh, that was pretty cool. And then when I came to New Zealand, um, I seen a massive need for that individual coaching. Um, I've th- I seen a lot of coaches doing team training, the latest formation, um, teaching players how to, you know, stand in the right spot on the field. And I thought, well, there's no point in doing that if they've got no technique anyway. So what's the point? So I kind of thought, well, let's see if I can start a small group. So I started it at Redlands. Um, and then I had to think of a name. Um, and my name's Fifey. I like football and I'm coaching. So it was pretty easy, to be honest, mate. I didn't have to think too hard. And I thought FFC, it's kind of FC's that sort of football way. So, um, But the massive reasons, too, why I've done it... Um, I'll go back to that coach I spoke about, Sean. His name was Sean Smith um, at Celtic. So he was the he was the Celtic coach in Dundee. So he was that area he'd scout um, and then he'd bring players into training. And I remember one day um, getting asked to get... I got the bus into Dundee, got to these AstroTurf fields. There was two fields. One was water-based, one was like sand-based. And obviously you can tell that the water-based would be better. Um, and Sean was there and there was about three or four kids there. And I didn't know these kids. Oh, I knew one of them, Mark Fotheringham. He was a fantastic footballer and a, and a really good guy, very good coach now as well. 
And um, we, we went there and I looked on the other pitch and you had Dundee United were training. And they had, um, I could be wrong, 100, 120 kids, all sort of in little sections doing little, these little drills with goals and all that stuff. And then Sean would have us on the pitch and there was four or five of us on this massive best pitch. Um, and we were doing these technical stuff, really fine detail on how to bluff people, how to chip the ball properly, how to swerve the ball properly, um, how to use both feet properly, um, how to chest the ball away from players. Um, even taught me how to head the ball. And even though I never grew too much and never got the chance to, I uh, I can't head the ball. Um, and it was just amazing. I remember being on the bus on the way home with the biggest smile on my face going, I have never felt like that after a training session before. And we must have had 100 shots on goal each. And then you look over at Dundee United and the kids are in a line. The coach misses a pass, so that kid doesn't get a shot. So he's got to go to the back of the line. And uh, he might have got four shots that whole session and we're on like 104. And I thought, this surely this is the way to coach. Like surely, you know. And he used to then say to us, right, if you're playing left midfield, this is where you need to be. And he show us on a, a, a bit of paper. And that was the tactics. And I thought, how easy is it to do tactics on a bit of paper when you can do all your technical stuff on the on the grass? And um, yeah, I just loved that concept. And it made me the player I was. It got me to be a professional. And um, yeah, I just, I just thought I need to give back. And I just wanted to be like Sean. And you haven't looked back since? No. And I, and I won't. I want to I want to mention two words that uh, you've raised before in your talks to players, and they are creativity and mindset. Completely different topics, but two very important things that I think players and people in life need to understand. What's your view on those two things? Yeah, I, I think they're massive. I think um, the creativity part is. Uh it's gone out the game. It's gone out of players a little bit and it's so frustrating. I see coaches over-coaching. I see coaches thinking it's their new system and their new style that's going to you know, make the player good. But um, at the end of the day, as a coach, we're only as good as our players. Um, so creativity for me, I even said to the boys tonight, I, I, I had the 16s joining with the 18s because we had a smaller number tonight. And I said, guys, there's no, there's no magic in my drills. There's no magic in what I say and set up here. The magic's in them, and it's up to them. It's up to us to try and guide that out of them. So, um, for them to, you know, there's a billion different scenarios on a pitch. How can I say there's only one way of playing out from the back or one way to score a goal? I mean, football would be pretty boring if there was only one way to score a goal, you know. So, uh, um, I think the magic's in them. We just got to be able to let them you know, be fearless and brave to actually try things on the field and try things at training. And um, and if it works, then, you know, go for it and, and, and keep going with it. Um, and that, that does really link into your mindset. I think that too many people like myself when I was younger, well, in that middle age when I was super young, it was fine up to 18. And then after that, um, you start doubting yourself and, and you start believing in um, some things that people say. Um, and I think you need to have a super strong champion mindset where, you know, no matter what, you just, um, you know, keep going, keep believing and, and keep trying to bring that magic out. How hard is it to continue to believe? I think it's as hard as you make it. Um, I think it's, I think you should just keep going. 
keep believing until it's totally gone, until the ship was sailed. Um, like I said, but there was a guy, Michael Duff, who, who made the Premier League at 30, I think he was. He got his big move from Cheltenham at 27. So um, you hear stories all the time, you know, Jamie Vardy making it at 24 or whatever. And you just never know when your time's coming. If people, if one person tells you, you know, you're not good enough at 16, if one person tells you you're not good enough at 18, 20, 21, 22, 23, um, it's just let it go in one ear and out the other. If you're if you're doing the right things and um, you know you, you keep believing in yourself, there's there's still that chance. So I want to move on to uh, it's not moving on, but it's sort of growing this idea a little bit. Is you you found your space at the Brisbane Raw uh, Football Academy where you're working with uh, arguably some of the best footballers or young footballers in Australia. Um, how did you gravitate to that space? You've been obviously coaching a long time, and I was at Redlands coaching, and then you become um, you get that respect from people that um, are coaches around the traps, and and Warren Moon, Scott McNichol, those boys who have done a great job playing. Uh, they've done a great both of them. They've done a great job in coaching, and um, I became friends with them. You sort of gravitate to each other, and uh, when when Mooney got the academy job, he phoned me, and I was actually not coaching team at the time. I was. Um, doing a corporate job uh, because I had to fend for my family and I wanted a nine to five. I know it sounds terrible and looking back, ugh, but I wanted a nine to five so that I could be there at five o'clock for my kids um, so I could see them and help more. And um, that happened. And then Mooney phoned and went, would you like a job at the academy? Uh, and without asking any questions, I said, yes, it just felt right. And and it's it's a passion of mine. And I thought, Oh my God! The opportunity to to pass on what I've learned to, like you said, some of the arguably the best, you know, young kids in the in Queensland and maybe Australia. Um, I'd, I'd be silly not to, you know, I'd be silly not to to try and pass on what I've learned, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So that's why, and yeah, I haven't I've I've loved every second. What are some of the challenges that you are facing as a coach at the moment? It's all to do with the players. Um, it's outside influence that they're getting. Um, I said I actually said this analogy to someone today, and I don't know if it's a good one, Stu. You can tell me, but if I was to walk through a, a crazy jungle, you know, bushes, trees, and all this shit and whatever's going on, and you had someone who'd walked it already, telling you what to do and what to not to do, or you had someone who'd maybe just seen it on the TV. Um, I would definitely take the guy as vice who's walked it. Um, and I feel that there's some players that are getting advice and stuff from people that maybe haven't been through that journey. And I'm not saying it's wrong. It might be right. Um, but it is a bit of a challenge because sometimes it's mixed messages and uh, you're trying to get things across that you know that will work for the boys. But um, without, you know, I would never, you know me, mate, I don't, I don't slag anyone or, or whatever. You know, everyone's trying their best. But, yeah, it's getting that right message across. Um, another challenge is getting the kids to believe in themselves even more than they do because I still feel like they play with a handbrake on. Um, and that's my job to try and really get that bravery into them and that fearlessness to to you know to grab every second because football can go so fast. Uh, and I've been through it and I know. So you'd need to cherish every every minute of training 
um, every minute of every game and really embrace it and eat, sleep and, and drink it and, and just go for it. So they're the challenges, but they're very good challenges and, and that's why I love my job. You mentioned a word as well before. You talked about um, you know, asking questions and reflecting on the game and reflecting on training together. You were talking about from a coaching perspective. Um, how important is reflection? It's massive. You you don't know you don't actually know then what's going on. You can have this this image in your head or this thought that what you're doing is right or what you're doing is wrong. And if you don't reflect back and actually get some sound advice, then you could be going in the whole wrong direction. And uh, I think it's really important to reflect back on what you're doing. And you know, even as a dad and a person, um, you can do that in all walks of life. So why not in the sport or the dream that, that you're chasing? Yeah. I think it's really important if you want to, if you want to smash your goals and, and know that you're going on the, in the right direction. I often talk about, and I'm interested to know your view, I often talk to my children and I, I mentor and manage people as well. The the white noise in your life sometimes gets loud and it's hard to distinguish. And I guess from a coaching perspective or as a coach or a person looking back on your life and your history and your growth in football, how do you lessen the voices that you shouldn't listen to and increase the noise of the voices that you should and how can you distinguish between the two? That's a, that's a fantastic question. I think that you've got to have something in place. I'm a, I'm a touchy-feely kind of person. Um, I'm a fidget. Um, I, I, you know, I've got some, I'm just got someone on my other hand right now that's, uh, you know, it's just like a little ball because I'm a fidget. But when I, when I think bad things now or, or or have that white noise those those distractions i literally brush it off my shoulder and i, I literally just brush my shoulder and go well, stop thinking about that and it, or smile because it's really hard to think negative when you smile um and then with the with the, obviously the good stuff you what you should write it down um write it down get it on paper and, and look back at it all the time i've got a little a little board up there um right now um that i see every morning that that's all positive so um yeah, just try and stick to that as much as you can. I think that answers the question. Yeah, it does. Can you share what some of the things on your board are, or is that too personal? Well, it's it's as, as a little phrase. I love quotes. I've got a few tattoos, um, and I love quotes. And we, we, me and my wife made up one. It was a twenty twenty two focusing on you, and um, which is you like me, um, and then Lizzie for her, and um, another one is health that I've got there. Um, smash your goals. So. That's another one, whatever goals you've got. And every day I wake up, and even if I feel like I'm miles away from it, I'll look at it and I'll go, okay, I'm going to smash that little goal today or, or or a little bit of that big goal that I'm chasing. So, yeah, there's a few things in there. So, Graeme, my last question is quite simple. You are on an elevator ground floor and you're going to level 12. A really talented young footballer jumps on and they're traveling up the elevator with you. You have one moment to give them some advice. What is it? I would ask them how much they really want it and why they want it. Um, and then once I get that answer, I dig a little bit deeper on that answer. And I would tell them, no matter what crap you're going through or what people say, keep thinking that. Constantly keep thinking why you want that dream and just keep going no matter what. Because as you know, if you, if you know your why, the what and the how will fall into place. Exactly, mate. And I wish, 
I didn't know, really know why. I never got taught that as a kid, and I don't know why I wanted to be a footballer. I just loved football, um, and I, I really wish I did. I, I don't want to ask another question because that was the best ending to a podcast <laughs> <laughs> ever. There you go. Graham, thank you for joining me today and sharing some of your incredible insights. I think what you do for football, for young men, and for growing uh, Queensland talent is tremendous. And I hope that you continue in that role, particularly for Brisbane Roar as a team I absolutely love. Uh, but thank you. It's only been two years to get you on, but uh, thank you very much. <laughs> no, thank you, mate. I really appreciate it.